well, I think I'm just an ordinary, simple bloke um, that followed his heart and his passion and his interests um, with great passion. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Illuminal Space. Today, I'm in conversation with John Muir. John is one of Australia's and the world's most regarded explorers and mountaineers. He was the first Australian to reach the summit of Mount Everest alone without the assistance of Sherpas. He's walked to both the North and South Poles, and perhaps his greatest achievement was walking alone across Australia, covering 2,500 kilometres in 128 days. Travelling through the driest of Australian deserts with only his dog Seraphine for company, totally reliant on the landscape around him for his food, shelter and ultimate survival. John also filmed this journey, released as a documentary titled Alone Across Australia. John was awarded the Order of Australia Medal in 1989 for his service to mountaineering and is a recipient of two Australian Geographic Awards, including Lifetime of Adventure Award in 2017. Today, John lives totally off the grid on a sustainable property with his wife, Susie, who is also quite the adventurer, and together they are featured in a documentary called Susie and the Simple Man. So it's a great pleasure to be able to welcome the most extreme simple man to Eliminal Space. Hi, John. G'day there. We're on. How are you? Good, yeah. Yeah, I'm real good. At home. My favourite place in the world. And I can see you've got uh, over your right shoulder the, the poster for Alone Across Australia. I've, I mean, I've watched that film half a dozen times, probably more, over the last few years. And it's been a pleasure the last couple of days to discover more about your work and your life. I read with interest that as a kid, you loved the book Robinson Crusoe. And I imagine that this spirit of adventure was always, was always with you. So can you talk about sort of what, what was it in your childhood that made you think that a life of exploration and adventure wasn't just an idea, but something you could commit your life to? Yeah, look, <clears throat> I think it, uh, we grew up in an industrial city, Wollongong. We were right on the edge of suburbia, um, and which also meant we were right on the edge of a sort of 50-50 farmland wilderness. And so we spent all our childhood in the, in the wild. And we were wild kids. We just had an enormous amount of freedom. We'd just get, head out and, and do, do our thing, and we'd get cut and broken and scratched and bloodied, and, but have a wild time. And we'd come home and it was all, you know, part of being a kid. Like, so I think just that, and when we made weapons and toys and cubby houses and did all that stuff, but I was seriously into it. And um, I guess uh, just that idea of playing in the bush was a lot of freedom. And then, of course, you'd go to school, and it was the opposite of that freedom I enjoyed in, in my away, away from school. And... After school, we'd always go out in the wild and play, and then the same on the weekends. And that, that's just what you did. And what, but what happened? The interesting thing that happened at that time, and and this 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 childhood is, um, you know, I was born in '61, so you know, I'm talking about the sort of mid mid '60s through the '70s. I left school in '77. But what happened in that time in Australia, or certainly where I lived, is that. In the late 60s, particularly in the early 70s, television came into people's houses, television. And um, people pe people were taken away from being wild to sitting in front of boxes like I'm doing right now, which is not my natural habitat. 
at school, what I noticed was the the kids would would not talk about what they did. Uh, what did you do after school yesterday? Or what did you do on the weekend? It, it, people, the kids increasingly didn't talk about what they did. They talked about what they watched. Hmm. And so they 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 almost had removed themselves from from their own lives and put themselves into the lives of others completely and utterly and fictitious characters mostly on television so there was it, it was so many steps removed from the the what you know the real world that um it it was ridiculous but so i but i had a look at some television shows and you know i enjoyed watching them few movies and documentaries and whatever but we had a television on and off broke down we didn't have one for a number of years and then we got another one but it just didn't hold me it was not like the bush so i guess i never gave it up i, I never gave up that 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 that, that wildness and we started looking at careers and thinking well what do i want to do and everything kind of was and in the school itself the whole system was starting to push kids into boxes you know you've got a you know our headmaster got up and said you've got to be realistic in your choice of career i'm going but I want to, you know, and I've just seen this documentary about climbing everything. I decided I was going to be a mountain climber. I'm 14. And uh, I'm thinking, well, well, you know what? You know, what's not unrealistic about that? There's guys out there doing it. I saw them on the documentary. Someone's, one of the climbers wrote a book about it. Other climbers made the documentary I watched about it. And some of the climbers on that team were uh, mountain guides. I thought, well, well, I could be one of those. So... Um, that 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 was it for me. I just I just pursued that and, and, and ran with it. And I, I knew that's what I wanted to do. It wasn't just people were saying. Parents, teachers were saying, you know, you'll get over this. This is you, you're 14. You, know, you want to be a mountain climber. When you were 10, you wanted to be a fire engine driver or whatever. But um, I, I kind of I knew in my heart that that wasn't the case, and, and that I really I wanted to spend my my career and my time in, in wild places. And and so you you did it. You you reached the summit of Everest. My understanding is you're the first Australian to reach the summit without the aid of Sherpas. Was that sort of like this feeling of achieving a dream in a sense? It, it, it was Everest. Everest was the boyhood dream, and and it was important in in that sense. Um, and it was, I mean, at the time, the mountain that had less than one hundred ascents. And now, you know, it, it, it peak season, hundreds will climb it every day, but it had less than 100 ascents since since Tenzing and Hillary made the first ascent. So it was a very different sort of uh, endeavour uh, in um, up until the advent of commercial guiding in the 1990s. Uh, so it was very different. But I already knew by the time I summited Everest, yes, alone, as part of a bigger expedition, but I, I reached the summit alone, um, that it was uh, that some of the climbs I'd done before Everest were far more difficult. Uh, far, so, and I already knew that Everest was was you know a fairly it's a fairly nondescript lump of a mountain. It, it doesn't it's not steep. It's it, it's low angle. Okay, the air's been up there, but you know, and it's a bit cold and windy. But it, it's it's nothing like being on the side of some sheer wall in the Himalaya, for example. Um, trying to trying to get you out of that. So Everest Everest was was uh, was good as the culmination of my boyhood dream. But before I even went there, I realised that um, I'd already gone beyond that, so to speak. Yeah, and, and this idea that that you know you said less than a hundred people had reached the summit when you were there, and now one hundred people a day. What is it about human about human nature or about humans that we will 
you know, you've taken the road less traveled, but it seems that, you know, most people, even in climbing of Everest, will, will take that, that path, that, that determined path. What is it? Is it a bragging right? Is it a trophy? Is it sort of the thing that people are expected to do? What makes you sort of do these solo and extreme when most even adventurers are taking the, this path? Yeah, look, I think, I think um, <clears throat> it's the difference between the cutting edge of adventure, world adventure, and adventure tourism now. And so, um, you know, most, most, most of these adventures we embark upon classically go through three stages. There's the, the age of exploration and then the age of adventure and then there's the age of tourism. Yeah. And, and so you can look at whatever, space or, 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 or ocean sailing. Um, you know, the age of exploration was, was hundreds of years ago, 500, 400, you know, Magellan circled the world 500 years ago now. And, and so the age of exploration lasted for a few hundred years after that. And then all the oceans had been sailed and, and more or less mapped. But then the age of adventure followed after that. And then the age of tourism with people crossing oceans on ocean liners and so on. So it's the same with, with mountaineering. Of course, the adventure tourists can only go where the way is well prepared and the Sherpas do that on Everest. Um, so for the, for the serious mountaineer, they, they'll be going, they won't be going to Mount Everest these days. They, they, that'll be, it's almost a laughing stock. It's the biggest joke in world adventure, in fact. Is it really? Um, so for the adventure tourists, yeah, among serious adventurers, of course, the, the adventure tourists, for them, it's the ultimate. And they'll come back with stories of how extreme it was and, and it was just the hardest thing that anyone could ever possibly do. And for them, that's their reality. That's true. They're, they're, they're not telling a lie. That's their reality. Um, whereas this, the, the, you know, the seriously experienced mountaineer will be doing something that, that makes Everest look like, it looked like the difference between, you know, a three-year-old circling around on their tricycle on the back patio to Wayne Gardner winning the motorcycle 500cc championship five times in a row. The difference is that big. Yeah. And you mentioned space. Do you have, I mean, is it like this globe is becoming discovered, you know, pretty much every inch of it. Where does your, do you still sort of have this idea of exploration and, and, and for a, a world that's mostly explored already, where do your dreams take you in the future for explorations? Yeah, look, I did mention space, but but really, I think I think the big adventure facing humanity is, is um, going forward in in creating a sustainable world. And currently, we're we're so far out of whack with that that we'll be facing a catastrophic collapse in the decades ahead, or certainly by the end of the century, if we don't change our tack very quickly. History is littered with collapsing civilizations, and 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 it's worth studying. And and when you look at look at um, those past civilizations and how they've gotten to a point. And, you know, we're talking big, big civilizations, Egyptians, whatever, you know, you name it, the Romans, the Mayans, the people that built Angkor Wat. Um, they must have felt all-powerful and uh, hard, you know, hard to believe that, that it could suddenly just all go pear-shaped. And I feel like that's where we're at now. Um, people feel like we're so strong and have, Technology will solve all our problems and all these, all these things that they like to think will happen. 
But um, have a look at history and how things have unfolded in the past and have a look around the world at the way things are going. So, no, look, my adventure now is is, is focused more on, on how to live in a more balanced way with, with re- you know, cut down the resource use and we're, we're constantly cutting that down in lots of different ways. It's not just about... Um, the, you know, energy or, or, or food or whatever, it's, it's actually trying to, um, I mean, they say reduce your impact, but just, you know, reuse things, remake things. Do we really need that? Can we use what's lying around just in every way you look at it? There, there are better ways of doing things and just going and buying new things. We're such a desperately throwaway society. And what we're really throwing away is the future of life on earth. And, you know, we're a plague. We're the worst. We're the worst thing that's happened to this planet in 60 million years since it was hit by that asteroid that wiped out the dinosaurs. Homo sapiens is the worst thing that's happened on this planet since then. Just ask the dodo. Just ask, you know, that myriad of life out there that is so under the pump that it, it's just collapsing. The whole ecosystems are collapsing. Species going extinct. But your average person, they they just want to they're, they're just on their feeds stuck glued to their machine there's this the real world out there is just this sort of imaginary space that doesn't have much in fact impact on them so you know i see the the that is the adventure that is the challenge and um you know i i sometimes look back on the resource you know the, the resource the flagrant use of resource i've made in the past and go oh really i did that but um Anyway, now now I'm more interested in growing potatoes. But I've been I've been on this path for quite quite a number of decades now, in fact. Yeah. That's been the most fascinating thing for me is to discover your sort of last fifteen or twenty years in, in, in coming back to the land and, and uh um I read that you had realized that you had become able to live and survive in the most extreme places around the world but you didn't know potentially how to grow a potato in your own backyard. And is that sort of the, the, the idea to push you to this, because you now live off the grid in a, a mostly sustainable, sustainable life? Yeah, look, it's, um, that, uh, the adventures definitely played a big part in, in, in the journey, of course, and, and what led me to where I am now. And I, le- I left school at, at, at 16 to become a professional mountain guide and, Things became quite simple in a lot of ways. I'd lived in this classic sort of suburban house on the edge of suburbia in in, in 60s and 70s Australia. And then I was out on the loose doing odd jobs, fruit picking, whatever, and then going climbing mountains and and, and rock climbing. Lived at Mount Arapiles in the campground for six years. And and so things were stripped down. All the superfluous stuff of of our society was was gone. Um, You know, we we just lived camped in our tents or under tarpaulins and, 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 and things were very simple. And then I started going mountaineering and I went to the Himalaya and I saw these people, these, these villages in, 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 in the Himalaya in India and Paul and uh, Tibet. And, and they, they were what we would describe as poor, but I saw these incredibly wealthy people who had this rich cultural and spiritual life and family life as well, where the, the whole family was all more or less together and the grandmothers were with, with the grandchildren constantly and all, all in it together. And sure, you know, they had a, a very physically challenging life, but 
That's what we're made to do. You know, we're homo sapiens. We're not homo slobolus. We're not couch potato mouth. That's maybe where we come, what we've become briefly, briefly, but um, it's, it's no way to live a life. So I saw these people in these journeys that, that, that were happy. That, that were happy with what they were doing. And what were they doing? They were living as subsistence farmers and tending their crops and their stock and their chickens or whatever and, and producing their own food and, and you know, live, living in relative harmony with their environment. And, and I just thought, wow, I, I, that's, I've got to go there. I've got to, I've got to do that. It wasn't about going and seeing how these people do it. You know, I, they were just incidental on my way into climb these mountains. But... I, I knew then that <clears throat> really I, I wanted to begin to um, learn the art, the true art of survival, uh, which is which is taking care of your needs. And people get this needs and wants confused in our society. And I cringe at what I hear is is needs and what we accept as as our needs. So I was interested in taking care, you know, be, being more responsible for my true needs, which is water food shelter yeah yeah and and that's that's i feel like that's what we we all need to be doing and and i think this this COVID crisis has highlighted the the vulnerability uh, of our society to too many people um and we really need to have a greater personal involvement with uh with those needs just all of us uh, and, and virtually all of us can it's a, it's a, get 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 closer in touch with our needs well i mean if for anyone that listens and and hears your words can't help but be inspired to to think about things as well i i love this this phrase that you said the art of survival and if if i had have thought that you would mention that sentence i would have sworn that it would have been you mountain climbing and being on top of the world and and walking alone across australia but it's amazing that you sort of you know you brought the out of survival down to to just you know the everyday living and and shelter and and these things that that we need it's 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 absolutely fascinating do you mind though if i take you back um to these days of exploration and and um adventure and the thing that I'm most fascinated with that I don't think gets discussed enough, we really have an insight into physical strength and physical training, but I'm totally fascinated about your mental um, ability, endurance and training um, on your expeditions and particularly or also this idea of the fact that you've done a lot of these alone and in isolation. Can you talk about the mental um, strength that, that, that you have and how you develop that? Yeah, look, <clears throat> it's, I, think, I think it's the most important aspect of, of any uh, human endeavour is, is actually the psychology that you bring to it, the, 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 the mental side of things. And if, if that endeavour is a, a, a physical endeavour, like climbing a mountain, going on an expedition, people people think that it's all about how fit they are and how strong they are. And and I saw it so many times at guiding expeditions where people, the, you know, the young the young men in particular, um, were all honed and fit, and it was ultra marathon runs, you name it, just all these. And 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 at the start of a month-long expedition, they'd be out of the blocks as we marched into the mountain and off they'd go. I thought it was a race. And, and there would be 
middle-aged people and people even people in their 50s some people might be a bit overweight or obviously not super fit or anything and it was always amusing to me too and I tried to get the young bucks to slow down it's not a race you know we're in the long haul but they didn't didn't get that they thought it was all about the physical side of things and it, it was yeah, well, it's amusing to, to to watch things play out because just as a generalisation, the the old the people who were slower at the beginning, the, the generally the older people ended up being the ones on top of the mountains. The young bucks fell fell, fell aside, and so they had the wrong. They brought the wrong psychology to it, and uh, it's hard to um, get that through a book or even through a, a short life. And when I say short life, I mean the life of a young person is a short life. It's, it is something that, that you do develop over time. But, and I think, I think it, it largely also boils down to you, why are you there? Why, why are you doing what you're doing? Yeah. What's, and, and you've got to ask yourself these questions and, and answer at least to yourself those questions honestly. What what am I doing here? Why do I want to climb this mountain? Or why do I want to start this business? Why am I? You know, what is it really about? What's it, what? Where's that coming from? And so, you know, having this big dialogue within, an honest, open dialogue within about your motivations is is key, I believe. And you know, I, I, that's played out so many times again in expeditions where I've been on a private trip with people and we haven't achieved our objective. And they've, you know, some of them have said, oh, well, that was a waste of time. Or they've come and they've come away despondent, um, depressed, uh, defeated, even. Uh, so their attitude was that they were there to climb a mountain. And of course, that's why they were there. That's the objective of a mountaineering expedition to climb the mountain. But it's not the essence of it. After all, when you're when you're climbing a mountain, you, you reach something. You're only there for five minutes, half an hour, whatever it might be. You you might spend months on a big Himalayan climb on, on this expedition. Is that really what it's all about? For for that, is that really the, the the goal to get to the top of the mountain? Yeah, yeah. Look, it is. But how important is the goal? You know. And so I just see the goal as a cherry on top of the cake, and I'm much more interested in the cake. The cake has got so much more to offer. Than that moment, of, that moment on top, and so that that's that having bringing the the, the the attitude into the into the equation. And so if you if you've got the attitude that um, that's the climbing the mountain is the objective, but it's not the essence, then you, you you're going to be more actually more resilient and more accepting and calmer when things don't go go so well and. You know that that teaches you on the on the on the climbing trips that patience and and also resilience and and making the right calls. You know, I've seen a lot of people die in the course of my career, and um, I, if there's one thing I I feel that they had in common, it, and it, it was um, the wrong psychology. Yeah. Like it was more than anything, they got the, the psychology wrong, um, their own psychology, and 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 I feel it's because of a lack of introspection or honesty with themselves as to hmm. why they were there, and ego often gets in the way there. What is your cake? What is your essence? 
it's 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 um it's the experience it's the experience of being in the wild and, and okay a lot of the adventures have been very extreme but it's just the the moment by moment that that extremity is 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 what I'm what I'm after so so the more the more extreme things became the the, the more I, I was in tune with with everything around me and and, and the, you know whether it's an extreme blizzard on the polar plateau or you know just in desperate need of water in the in the Australian desert, um, that 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 intensity of experience is, is is what I was really after, and 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 that brings me back to my roots, and 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 all of our roots are as these nomadic hunter gatherers. And it, what do the men do in the nomadic hunter gatherer clan? Well, they work cooperatively, not in competition. They work cooperatively. They go out as a cooperative unit. And and they would push themselves to the to their physical limits in often in the course of the hunt. And you know, maybe they're hunting a mammoth or there's danger other danger they might be hunting something more tame, but there's dangers around. So they're pushing themselves physically to their limits. They're facing great danger and risk and, and working cooperatively. And that's what we've evolved to do. And when you can come close to that, you know, I'd see, I'd see the big expeditions, it's, you're out with your crew hunting the mammoth. And um, it's, it's the, whole, the whole experience that is, that is fulfilling, not just one little moment of it when mm. things happen to go well for you or you get home and you've done it. In fact, I get home from a long trip and I'm usually just a little bit, you know, a little bit empty and uh, if you, whether, whether the the trip's been reached its objective or not. That's absolutely irrelevant. Um, it's, it's that I've been out hunting the mammoth and, 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 and it has really filled me with, with the, the, the primal humanity that is within us all. And, you know, now I'm, now I'm back at home and I look, I love, I love my home. I really do. But um, there is that intensity out there that's invigorating and, um, it's also very addictive, I think. Yeah, this word essence is a beautiful word um, because I, I mean, I see just the passion that you're speaking with now, you know, you're never gonna lose this explorative part of you. It's, it's obvious, you know, it's, it's deep in your DNA, obviously. Um, do you need to do mental training to ready yourself for these extreme experiences so you're not experiencing them for the first time in some sense and what you know like like meditations or any sort of uh can you talk through how you deal with your own mind yeah look i think um i think you do you know i do it i do do a lot of training for uh mental training if you, if you will um I, before before a big trip and it is it is about being bringing the right me to the equation and it, it is about being being calm it, and 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 not getting flustered when things things don't go right and and so so trying to bring that into my your day-to-day life meditation will help with that trying and trying to keep things in perspective so i guess you know in a sense that the, the physical and the mental training that i have brought to my expeditions over the decades um is about trying to find a balance within 
and and that's not something you 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 sit down and for an hour each day and think right I'm going to do find my balance within okay you you might do a, a daily meditation and in a sense that that is what you're doing but really that idea is something that is best achieved throughout your your whole life your 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 very day to day and 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 trying to bring that calmness and clarity and honesty to that which you undertake on a on on a daily basis and 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 then when and and so then when you're out when you head off on the expedition that's what you're bringing and in a sense that's that's the best form of yourself that that that's the best you you're bringing to it the the honest the the calm the, the thoughtful you. And so just trying to engender that into your day-to-day life as a constant. Now, it's easier said than done, and I'm not suggesting I'm very good at it. Um, but in the world of adventure, something's born good results, and I do believe it's more the psychology than the, the, the physical. If, if you know, Again, if, the, if, if, you, if you get the psychology right, the, the body will just follow but if it's if if it's all about the body, if you haven't got the psychology right, the body will just collapse in a heap. And I, I mean, just hearing what you're saying now, it sounds to be the opposite of ego or the ego. It seems to be the opposite of being a hundred meters from a peak, bad weather, and you still go for it because you want to get that prize. I mean, I imagine that decision making is a huge part of. Um, these explorations for you because it's literally matter of life and death, yeah? Yes. <clears throat> yes, it is. Look, it, it is absolutely life and death. And, and um, again, unfortunately, I've, you know, witnessed a, an awful lot of death. And uh, when we retreated off mountains on expeditions or climbs that I was involved in, I was always the one to make, to make the call there, let's, let's go, let's go down. Um. And often people, the people with me would go, yeah, yeah, let's do that. And so you just get this situation where there's all this momentum going up and, and all this momentum going in a direction, whatever it might be. And I see that in the world as a whole now. Um, but there's all this momentum to go up and, and, and things, things are changing. Everything's changing. Everything is changing all the time. And when you're behind a mountain in an extreme environment, uh, pushing for the summit, then things can cloud one's judgment, and ego can be one of those. You know, if you've, you've been working towards this expedition for a year, maybe more, you've put all this money into it, whatever it may be, there's, there it is, there's, there's the goal, we can get there. And people lose track of getting back, <laughs> or what happens after that, you know. And, and yeah, so they, they just... Uh, get summit fever and, and uh, go all out to the top when really they should be turning around and coming back down. And, and so it's, it's that balance again, keeping things in perspective. And, and nobody's prepared to make what, what can be perceived as being the weak call. Um, I, I actually think it's the strong call, but maybe I'm just putting myself up in, in describing it as such, but um, to, to um, retreat uh, and, and, uh, survive so uh, not uh, people haven't always agreed with me and people who've gone up when me and others have come down have have died so um it's 
it's good to keep things in in perspective yeah and and from one extreme to another extreme so we've been talking about summiting some of the world's highest peaks um the way i discovered your work was through your trek across australia which you've got the poster poster behind you where you walked um 2500 kilometers unassisted 128 days with your dog seraphine it was your fourth attempt is my understanding um and it's just for me watching that journey is just a, a, a document of a person a curious person pushing himself to his limits um what was the idea behind this uh this journey what was your essence or motivation for that yeah well it um it was a long time in the making that one and it's it is a bit of a long story but look i got into the climbing as we discussed and and i pushed myself to the best of my abilities in all spheres of climbing um both with teams and partners and alone and i'd achieved a lot of my early objectives and i was and i'd lost a lot of friends and and i was and climbing the expeditions i'd been at it intensively for 15 years it was losing some of the the excitement that it had when i left school and i was a boy and everything was new and exciting and a number of combination of things all came together and i was looking for a new objective and i looked at a few different possibilities i was hoping to make a solo journey to the south pole nobody had tracked over lands in the south pole alone at that time and i needed a huge budget and trying to get the prime minister on board as patron and there was all these obstacles and 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 i had to do these things that just weren't me trying to get this multi-million dollar project off the ground um and i just in the end i i i gotten even further away from that excitement of childhood and youth and 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 i thought there's got to be something closer to home something simple something that doesn't cost an arm and a leg and i pulled out the map of australia and I thought there's got to be something in Australia. So I pulled out the map of Australia. I'd always thought Australia was flat and boring. Coming from a mountaineering background, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, there's no glaciated mountains in Australia, a bit of great rock climbing shore, but, and, and, and the, uh, the objective leapt out of me. At that time, it was the 1980s and, and adventurers around the world, myself included, were attempting to do some of these classic global objectives in, in what's called an unsupported way or, just which is simply stripping it away stripping it down to asking the the question what is the person capable of you know, we, we, so and so people were trekked to the south pole and uh, without skidoos or air resupplies by air or, or teams of huskies you know what's the what's the person capable of without machinery without beasts of burden and I've been a part of that in, in, in uh, the, you know, on, on the, the, some of the climbing I've done where we've stripped away a lot of what people had used before. But um, I just saw Australia and I thought, well, make the unsupported traverse of the continent. And I knew nobody had done it. Plenty of people have crossed Australia, driven across, ridden camels across, you name it. But they've all relied on energy sources other than themselves, beyond their own energy or what they've taken with them or what they've had dropped off along the way. So... So that that's how that 
that sparked. And I had no idea about surviving the desert, absolutely not an idea, but it just leapt out at me at the end of 1988. And um, I, I, I knew I knew this was something, this was something huge. I, I, I just I started learning about desert travel and desert exploration and the, the, the Aboriginal experience of the desert and the European explorers, and I, I learned different things from all all the reading I did, and I started getting out into the into Australia and, and learning the art of survival in Australia, particularly water and and food. Um, what 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 was in that environment it was edible, and uh, also learning how to hunt and just honing this whole new set of skills, and and it was exciting. It was really exciting again. I was a beginner. I had no idea what I was doing. And, of course, I started small, um, just with, with little forays, and those forays slowly got, got bigger. And I didn't tell anyone what my objective was. I didn't. I had no idea what and whether such a thing was even possible um, to walk off-road, off-track, no resupplies, no beast of burden, just me, my own energy, and what I can gather from the natural environment. Um. Yeah, I attempted it uh, four times, uh, and and even before I my first attempt, I, I absolutely knew that this was going to be the most difficult thing um, I, I'd done, and I knew it would be more difficult than the, the polar treks and the the, the mountain climbing and the, the solo rock climbing and all of that. It was just uh, very very challenging, mm-hmm. but. Uh, Pete, you know, when I, I didn't even tell anyone what I was up to, people had no real idea what what I was about. I filmed, I filmed all four attempts. I'd been filming since 1984 on the West Ridge of Everest, and um, I wanted to get some simple messages across to a wider audience. And some of those messages we've just covered now in a more detailed way. But um, yeah, so. That's uh, that's why I filmed that. And fourth attempt, my understanding, it was your third attempt before you reached the summit of Everest unassisted. You're obviously someone that likes a challenge and doesn't like not reaching their challenge. Is that a fair call? Uh, no, look, I don't think that's quite quite right. I, I really like not reaching my challenge. Yeah. And so those, I, I really like it. I prefer it than not than, than reaching it. Now, it's great when you finally achieve your objective, but there's also been others. There's been a number of others, and nobody's ever heard of them because I never completed them, where I've attempted things and attempted them again and again and again even. And um, still no joy, but lots of joy, in fact. Just because I didn't get the cherry on top, I had the whole cake to myself. And so... Um, yeah, yeah, some things I, I go back and again and again. Other things I attempt once and think, ah, oh, you know, I, I'll, I'll try something different. But there's been a, a few that I've attempted a number of times and, 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 and never never got them. And, and that, that, that's great. That, that, that's good. Uh, so it, it can seem that I'm very dogged in that way, and I am, but it's actually not necessarily about, you know, sort of winning in, in the end at, at all costs. Some of the things that I attempted a number of times and never went back to, I felt I was in with a chance. I, it wasn't that I never went back because I gave up on them. I thought it was impossible or whatever. It was, it was just that I moved on and, you know, different things, whatever, 
yeah, try something, try something different. Try. Yeah. Other things I, 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 I was very dogged at. That's true. Yeah. It's fascinating. On, on my, on my fourth attempt, I, I think I did actually in my journal write that, um, this was going to be my, my last go. Now, as it turned out, I completed the journey on the fourth attempt. Would I have attempted it a fifth time if I hadn't? I, I don't know. I said that in my journal on the on a day. It was obviously, you know, a very challenging day, or it's in a very challenging part of the trip, which could have been virtually any of it. <laughs> but uh, who knows? Who knows? It's totally fascinating for people that are watching and listening. I'm going to put a link where people can can watch your film, can get access to it, because I think that. Well, right. it's, it's interesting, yeah. it's, it's inspiring, um, it's unique, it, it really just shows the art of survival. But it also shows another thing, which I hope you don't mind me bringing up. And over your right shoulder is also your very beautiful dog, Seraphine, Jack Russell. Won't talk too much. Queen of the desert. Queen of the desert. Um, what was it like to have the queen of the desert with you as a, as a companion? Fantastic. It was great. It was great having Sarah out there. I mean, I've made many journeys alone. I've made many journeys with partners. I've made many journeys as a member of a team. But I've never made a big journey with a non-human animal. And um, I've had this dog and Seraphine and, she, you know, dogs love to go for a walk. And I was planning on going for a walk. And I asked her if she wanted to come for a walk. And... <laughs> She said, yes, <laughs> yes, she did want to go for a walk. Um, so, so we went for a walk and she had a great time. And um, we did a few desert walks together, three in fact. And, and, and it was just, it's just a joy to, to travel with her. And, you know, dogs are um, they're a lot smarter than people. And so she was a great help to me out there. She was, um, she, you know, she, she actually helped me in very practical ways, again and again and again and again. And 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 speaking of Seraphim, Susie wrote this book, Seraphim: Terror of the Desert. It's it's, it's actually from Seraphim's um, perspective. And um, so I'm big dog, and and it's it's based on all the stories that happened along the way. And it's a great it's a great look. It's supposedly it's a kids' book, sort of about ten year olds, but most it brings most adults to tears. Um, when they read it and adults will start reading I'll have a look at this and many of them just can't put it down so um no it's seraphine seraphine was just total legend and uh, I, I just love traveling with with her you know how it is with your dog what did you learn from seraphine i think um i think dogs dogs have an awful lot to, to teach us about um about life and and look the, the just generally I think the creatures around us do teach us all sorts of things if we can tune into them and and uh, spend some time with them or whatever creatures they may be but um the seraphim um I guess I guess her her enthusiasm and her commitment to to that journey um really not that I was lacking in it, don't get me wrong, but, but it really cemented my own, my own commitment. You know, she'd get up in the morning and it was like, let's go. And it's like, yeah, yeah, let's, let's go. So, um, 
Yeah, so I think it's not so much she taught me, but she just underlined my, my own. We, we were very, we were on the case together, really, and, and we we underlined each other's strengths, I think. I think. And, and so that there was that, that sort of mutual um, lear- learning together about, about the fact that our, our course was, was sensible, <laughs> which is to go for a walk, yeah, to go for a walk. And at the end of the day, I think it's easy to lose sight of the fact in our current current world um, that what we we have evolved to to walk across the landscape and find food, water, and shelter. That that's that, and that's been what we have done for the vast majority of human history. Walk across the landscape, um, and the, the, the natural landscape. And it's a healthy thing to do. It's a really healthy thing to do. It, it's it, it's what feeds us. Um, it's 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 what really feeds us. Feeds the soul. It, and it, it, the nature becomes this this incredible mirror that 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 just ref, reflect is a reflection. Or you can you can learn a lot just by observing what you see as you move across the wild spaces and. Um, it's a it's a great mirror to, to one's oneself one's inner self particularly when you when you when you're alone but um, just get out there in the wild get get out on foot yeah we don't do enough of it and I, I hear you talking about you know this word alone um, and I can't recall whether you say it in the film or in something I've read but that you say that you felt extremely alone but not lonely perhaps curious as to this distinction between alone and lonely yeah look I think um, I think there is a there is a, a difference um, I think lonely to, at least to me to my understanding of the, of the words um, lonely is, is is sort of missing things when a person describes themselves as lonely it's like there's something missing. In their in their world in their life, it, typically it's other people, but not not necessarily. So they they they're lonely. They're, there is there is something missing. Now, when when I and it is in the the, the documentary that I shot alone across Australia that that line does come from. When I describe myself as alone but not lonely, uh, I, I there's nothing missing. I, I I've got everything, and and it in spades and, and I'm totally whole in every way um, but I, but alone so what I meant was there's an intensity to being without other people without without things you know another, another creature that that you can really c- communicate with in, in a deep way um, and I, I did have seraphim but I Felt very much. We were alone in in that we couldn't talk to talk to anything else. We couldn't. We were moving through the landscape, and the rest of the landscape was was there. The ecosystems in which we travelled were their own sort of sort of self-contained units, and we were we were travellers passing through it, and we interacted with the landscape absolutely. But we were sort of strangers to it. We we were outsiders. We were we were our own unit alone, 
and 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 it, look that that a lot that sense of aloneness, especially when you know the weeks and months go by, brings uh, this incredible in growing intensity to it. Now you, you can sort of get a hint of that when you spend a few hours alone in nature and you know be quiet and just observe, walk, travel ideally, but observe. But that 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 intensity just deepens the further you go into it, and 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 to, it gets to the point where you it's almost like you're observing yourself from outside of yourself doing doing this things and and. and it, the, the intensity builds, and there's a, many classic cases of solo adventurers and travellers um, kind of losing the plot. Um, and you know, some people say, but oh, oh, I'm a classic case of that. <laughs> but I <laughs> watched the film and judge for yourself. But I, I, I certainly felt um, that I, I was holding, holding it all together um, and... and and was 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 keeping the unit close. It's incredible. The one of the the, the most. Um, and if you don't mind, I'll just just one more uh, on this walk across Australia, and then there's a couple of other things I'd like to chat about. But the thing that I thought was most remarkable is that you're you were alone across Australia. You were really struggling at times. You were really struggling with physical um, fitness. You were really struggling for food, for water. And you came across a few people in the desert that were living really remotely. They first thought you're a lunatic or some crazy guy with a gun that was, was gonna, gonna get them. And, and they all said the same thing. They said that they offered you food and drink, but you didn't hang around and you didn't accept and you kept going. You must be just such a determined or steel-minded person that even in those depths of, and you were at times desperate, but you chose to, to be self-sustainable. Just wondering whether that was sort of for um, a record or some other reason, or whether that was just an internal decision and strength. Yeah, look, I think um, for me, it, 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 look, people have said that, you know, how did you, how did you resist when you're offered a beer or something in that situation? Um, or whatever, whatever was on offer, and and it was it was actually really easy because I'd worked towards this for, and that was on my fourth attempt. So this had been thirteen years I've been working towards this goal, and I was getting there. I was in with the chance, and my goal was to without resupply, yeah, without just using my own energy. So if I had accepted food from these people, you know, where that like that, I, I was getting food that wasn't from the natural environment that I hadn't carried with me. So um, it, it wasn't it wasn't about a, a record, so to speak, because it's you know like nobody had done something like that before. It's sort of about adventure, and it was about about for me personally about the purity of the adventure. I was going to if I had accepted food from someone else, I was just diluting the the my experience, and and that's the last thing I want to do when I'm when I'm on a on on a big journey is 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 dilute it and and, and weaken it. Um, so yeah, I was I was desperate at times, and uh, you know, not hunger, hungry. At long stretches of that trip, um, I, I lost a third of my body weight, and so it would, you know, I guess I guess it, might, it would have been easy to crack there, but if if you'd been that way inclined, but um, I, I knew 
why I was out there. Again, I, it goes back to that mental preparation. And so I, I, I understood myself very well and, and what, what I was doing, why I was there. And, and so it was easy to say no. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Are you stronger than the rest of us? Is there some, or braver than the rest of us? Or what, what, what makes you able to do this and, and most other people wouldn't even begin to contemplate that that was a good idea? Um, well, I think I'm just an ordinary, simple bloke. Um, and that just, that followed his heart and his passion and his interests, um, you know, to, with great passion, I guess. Um, I, I, I like first-hand experience. I like real experience. I like, I like meeting people for real. I, you know, I like I like doing things with my hands and 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 my body and 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 also I guess not not things that are handed to you on a plate like a you know whatever a package holiday or something I like I like the raw and and the um, being being in charge of all that so um, and it's extremely rewarding so. And, and the, the more you, you push yourself in in any sphere, the more rewarding it becomes. So I don't I don't think that I'm, you know, I, I think over the decades I've become certainly physically stronger and, and mentally uh, sharper, and, and and my understanding of myself has grown. I think that just happens with, mm. with age. But when you put yourself in all these extreme situations, many of which are very dangerous, um, it, it does it, it does really sharpen that that sense of self and, and that understanding of self. So so when it comes to the, the, the challenge the big challenges on a big expedition, then um, it's a sort of a no brainer for me. I'm I'm there to, to, to really push myself right right to to safely to to the limit and um that's 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 what it's about for me and hmm. uh, that brings out the, the best in me the best performance but but anybody who's pat you know follow that follow that passion follow that childhood everybody's got something me included that, that goes way back that they, they always wanted to do always sort of like to do that but you know it's it's getting off the couch it's making that first step that's the hardest step and 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 take it do it you know what is it what what is it that that, that you've got what is it that's at the back of your mind been at the back of mind for ages you just just bring it forward and 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 grab the bull by the horns and see where it takes you you won't be disappointed <laughs> you will be disappointed if you don't do it awesome I, I read that talking about um, limits, I read that you had an experience with a two-ton block of rock that, that hit you and cracked your ribs and, and that perhaps you were actually dead for three minutes in, in this experience. And I have a quote, if you don't mind me reading it. I instantly realized that I was dying and I couldn't breathe. I drifted out of my body and out into this golden light and it was the most beautiful experience of my life. Yeah, it was. Yeah, no, it was. It was really extraordinary. I, I, I no pulse, no breathing for a guesstimated three minutes. Um, you know, they do say 
three minutes with no pulse and no breathing, you, you, people will start, the brain will start dying and some have pointed back to that that 10th of October 1981 when I was killed by that rock to explain me. Um, but look, that's a, that's a wonderful, wonderful time of life and, and, and it was pure magic out there. It was timeless. Um, and I became completely formless during that three th- three minutes. It, it, it seemed like an eternity. I was out there in this in this golden light, and I slowly became aware that and I, I, that I was just an awareness um, that I had no shape or form or anything. It, it just seemed to become this awareness, and and I had there was a strong sense of of, of eternity out there too that I was just drifting eternally and then I got this little breath back in, in this the bottom of this lung here and um, just the body made this last attempt to restart itself and it succeeded, um, which was very disappointing for me because, I, I you know, I, I was wrenched from this liminal space to back on this ledge in, in, you know, I mean, I've got all these broken ribs and, and these punctured lungs and, and breathing is even just really shallow in the bottom of this lung because um, this lung's not working at all, was intensely painful. And I didn't want I didn't want to be back in that body. You know, take me back where I was. It was much, much better for her. <laughs> anyway, it was what it was. And I'm glad it was because I get to have a second death now. I just hope my second death is as good as the first one. I'll be very disappointed. <laughs> and and do you know where you were in those three minutes? Was this a religious or a spiritual experience for you? Or are you trying to explain it or you're just letting it go to the things that can't be explained? Yeah, look, um, you know, I think it, it, it was a... A spiritual experience, no, no question about it. Um, but as far as you know, trying to explain it, I, 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 I no, I, I just, just, just that, I, I, just what I have explained um, was as far as I can go. I mean, I've heard, I, I've read of other accounts of people who've had no pulse and no breathing for a while, um, like Kerry Parker, and he said, "There's nothing there, mate." Quote unquote. Um, now, I, so I guess everybody's experience of death, just like life, is quite different. And uh, I think being open to uh, all the possibilities of life and death probably might help uh, gain a, a richer experience. Yeah. I, I thought you may be revealing the whole mystery of the universe and, and the fact that you'd, you died gone somewhere, come back, and all the mysteries had been revealed for you, and you can tell us what, what this world's all about and what this life is all about and what consciousness is and explain it all. But it sounds like you're perhaps like the rest of us, none the wiser. Well, you know, I don't know. I mean, this happened when I was 20, and uh, it, 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 really, it really cemented my path to me. It really, it was almost like putting an exclamation mark and, and, and underlining my, my past. Saying, you, that's it, John. Do it. You know, you've got, you, you're on the right, you're on the right track. You've got to make the most of this life. Yeah, yeah. You know, sure, that golden light was wonderful, but, but being, being this 
alive, being this active, conscious, physical being is just extraordinary. And, and, and we've just, we, we lose sight of that. Children are filled with wonder and it just slowly drains out of them. I guess I started climbing and people say to me, when did you start climbing? And I say, well, I never stopped climbing. And that's because all children climb. All, you know, the, the, the baby tries to, the six-month-old, year-old tries to climb up onto the couch. They climb, children climb. You look, all children climb. And then they stop climbing. You know, around 12, 15, they stop climbing. And uh, the one, so the one that sort of slowly goes out and, well, oh, I never stopped climbing. So I went from climbing all those other stuff that all those other children climbed, they're climbing rocks and climbing mountains. And so oh, I never stopped. And so just, I guess, um, one, I think one of the lessons of, the, the, uh, of my death is simply that, just to make the most of life, just to see the wonder around you in, in the small and the large and the, you know, the stuff you can't even see and, 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 and try and see it with fresh eyes. Hmm. So much wisdom in all of these words. It's a, it's a yeah, beautiful conversation, I feel, that, that we're having. And I thank you for all these amazing insights. It, it brings us now to, to your life now, which we um, were trying to have this chat last week, but um, you rely on, my understanding is you rely on the sun for solar power to give you electricity, which allows you even to turn the computer on. So I can't say I've ever had to wait for the sun to have a, a chat for this podcast. It's a pretty, <laughs> pretty amazing thing. So I wonder if you can just, yeah, explain your your life now. Yes. Well, as I said before, I mean, it, it, one's previous experience leads one on the the journey of life, and so all those experiences uh, on adventures with the simplification of things and seeing those Himalayan tribes and um, villages and made me think I've, I've just got to take more, try and simplify things as much as I can and take more responsibility for my needs. And so we, uh, I've been doing that for the last 30 years on the, in the home environment. And, and Susan and I have lived here at Inanna for 20 years where we've um, really been able to um, be creative in, in, in our world, and when I say our world, I mean the world immediately around us. And so we've, we've, we're not on Maine's water or Maine's power, and we really like it like that. So we take responsibility for that. So it's all solar, and it's winter now, so it has been quite cloudy, and we've got to wait for sunny day to have a long, you know, be connected. It's amazing how much power the modem uses. Um, I've, we've been surprised. I thought it would have been a low a low power user, but it's actually a high power user. So, so we've had to wait for this and, and, you know, the solar panels also pump water out of our ball. We've got guttering on all of our sheds and that collects all the, the rainwater, goes into our water hole, fishing water hole, we've got bees, massive, massive vegetable garden and uh, massive orchard and um, uh, massive empire of chickens as well. Um, so, and also I go out every evening meditating uh, just to, for a bit of quiet John time. Um, there's a bit of a difference with my meditation in that I, I meditate with a loaded gun across my knees and every now and again my meditation ends with a bang. I target ferals, just rabbits and things. Um, 
And so we eat a fair bit of rabbit too when they disturb my meditation. Uh, so, yeah, so we try and provide the majority of our needs. We also fix things and make things and it's, it's, what, it's what we all should be doing really. But um, so we've, we've been focusing on that for if, here for, for, for 20 years and, and slowly but surely uh, reducing the inputs from outside of here, yes. It's incredible. I mean, we're only a few hours away by drive. I'm in Melbourne. I'm in stage four lockdown. I have no balcony. I have two windows that open five centimetres and, and this is my experience of COVID lockdown. And obviously you're either not impacted at all or impacted in a very different way. Without getting deep into this COVID issue and, and political, what do you see as you know this, this response, which is like keeping people inside keeping people at home we're not actually even allowed to to be outside um do you have a a thought on this yeah look um you're right it has, hasn't impacted me a lot but you know we 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 it has it's impacted everybody to a certain extent and it certainly impacted us but not as not as intensely as somebody living in in the city or like yourself um you know, I I just think, um, you, you know, you look at that um, Spanish flu and, and, and what happened there. Um, I, I think the powers that be are doing the best they can to try and prevent such a situation occurring again. And, you know, the lockdowns um, seem to be quite effective so as difficult as they can be um but you know i think in a broader in a in a in a broader sense i i am concerned that um we don't we're not learning lessons we're not learning lessons from the past and here's a great opportunity for, for some contemplation on the trajectory of humanity in 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 these lockdowns, I mean, and globally, um, and you know, it's not hard to see that we're 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 sort of off course collectively, and um, I mean, you look at anything and everything around the pop elephants. You know, in in my lifetime, the population. Wild elephants have decreased 95%. Um, they say they'll be extinct by the end of this century. I mean, I'm not talking about elephants. They're just, uh, you know, em emblematic of, of really what I'm on about. But, um, but and so, I, you know, in a sense, I, I wonder whether the coronavirus is really uh, trying to trying to teach us something about ourselves and about our trajectory. And, you know, we, we have the sense that, oh, you know, we'll invent this vaccine and all, all will be well. But, you know... I think I said at the start of this talk, we're in plague proportions. And uh, you look at other plagues, you know, a creature that is out of balance with the world around it, a plague. Um, and what happens to plagues is, is you know, conditions are good for that particular creature at that given time. I mean, insects are the classic ones, again, in plague proportions like locusts. But lots of creatures over over time have become in, in plague proportions. And... Um, 
you know, you make hay while the sun shines and you, and you go for it. You breed up your population and then something comes along and the population just crashes. You know, it, it could be that they typically, say with locusts, they eat up all the, their resource or whatever. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of hoping that this COVID thing, and, and I see some signs of hope, but it's going to make people think um, about what's really important, uh, not just in their own lives, but but for, for the future, for their future of life on earth so i'm i'm um hoping it's a a real blessing in disguise and i i also think that um we're so used to um just looking elsewhere for everything yeah, you know, I, I want to be entertained. I'll go there. I want to do this. I'll yeah, and 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 outsourcing everything, outsourcing everything, and including the most important things in our life. So, so I, I, I I'm wondering whether the the lockdowns are. I, I'm sure it's the case that some some people are having a, a an internal journey. I'm, it, I mean, everybody always is, but I'm wondering whether it, it might actually be uh, a clear and positive internal journey and then then they explore things internally that they'd forgotten existed or or and that may in fact be beneficial to them and and come out of this with uh, a new insight into both themselves and the world around them Hmm. i hope so absolutely too i'm optimistic yeah, you are. I mean, is that true? Are, are you are you a pure optimist? No, I look. I'm a realistic optimist. I'm a re, I'm a I'm a realistic optimist. So, um, the the reality will will temper that 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 optimism. I'm a very optimistic person, but when I look to the future of life on Earth, I I, I have grave concerns. Hmm. Well, you're doing amazing things. What I love so much about what you're doing, and you mentioned sort of the way that you're documenting and filmmaking your journeys, and I'm a filmmaker as well, and trying in my very humble way to, you know, um, make people aware of, of issues, of, of different things around, around the world. How does storytelling play a part in your life? Is this something that just happened as a result from the from the adventures and the exploration, or deep down, are you actually a storyteller? Well, I don't know. I think that's a good one. I was an incredibly shy child, like painfully shy. Um, And so I certainly, in my early childhood, was certainly not... um, was not a storyteller. But then we... I had the situation where we were going to, as a family, be seeing a lot of other family members. We went to Scotland and England, where the family's from, and meet lots of cousins and uncles. And I, I, I made a, a conscious decision that I was going to try and overcome this shyness and, 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 and talk more to people. And um, and and I, I was I, I managed to do that. I managed to, to, and it was challenging. It was hard, a hard thing to do because I, I, I think that is the real me. It's actually a bit of a recluse, a bit shy. I was happy in my own little sort of corner doing my own little thing. And then that's part of the reason why I've done a lot of, part of the reason, a lot of those solo adventures. Um, 
but you you do a lot of it and you become more experienced and people want to hear stories about it. And then you start leading expeditions and you really need to start telling stories and um, to get people on side when you're leading an expedition or to entertain them. And so it just, it, it, it just starts ha- happening. And I do, you know, I do give uh, public, public lectures, a keynote speaker and that sort of, that sort of thing as well. So, but I don't do a lot of that. Um, I, I do get a lot of reward from it because people seem to benefit from this this the story, and, and and I think it is beneficial in the in a broader in the broader sense as well to you know highlight another way of seeing and being that I, that I feel there isn't enough of in this world. Everybody's too focused on what the latest rock star or film star or somebody they never even met and never will meet is doing, and. Um, when I, you know, when I see that the 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 the, the path most people are, are, are travelling, I, you know, that's where I, I was saying a realistic optimism. Well, that's that 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 sort of brings a bit of pessimism into me when I when I see what people think is important uh, in 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 their world, and it's so far from the reality of their real their true needs. So, um, so telling these stories, I guess. Is 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 also a way of of and, and making the documentaries or whatever it may be has has been a way of reaching a wider audience just with a slightly different or a bit radically different take on the world and and, and our place in it. Mm. At this sentence, I've haven't heard it articulated like that before. I love it. Another way of seeing and being. And in lots of ways, that's what I'm trying to do with this podcast: have deep discussions with people who are looking at other ways of seeing and being. And um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's amazing uh, opportunity. Um, you're now living there as well with, um, with your wife, Susie, and, and you've made this film together. You found a, a, a partner for your adventures as well? Yeah, that's right, that's right. Susie and I have been on quite a few adventures together, apart from the adventure of Anana, which is at the name of our property here. We've, we've been out ocean sailing and, and um, in, you know, in a small yacht from Fiji to New Cal and, and sea kayaking. We made a four-month hunting and gathering sea kayaking journey. Uh, and you know, we've been out to the desert many times and, yeah, there's been there's been lots of adventures, but the the biggest one has been I, I think is been creating this this uh, world, this small world around us right here. It's amazing. When I was writing to Susie to arrange this discussion um, after watching that film, I wrote to her and said it was an amazing film. But even more than that, it actually was an amazing love story. And um, yeah, thank you for to you both for giving an insight into this. Uh, you're both very beautiful people, and and I thank you for that. Um, what I would love to ask you is, you've still got your whole life ahead of you, but there is going to be a stage when you head off into the golden sunlight or wherever you were for those three minutes. What would be the way that you would most want to be remembered? What would you like your legacy on this on this earth to be? Well, you know, I, I just, I'd rather be forgotten. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I'd rather people sort of focused on on um, 
their the 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 children's future and the and the and the and the, and the life of the creatures around them i'd rather people kind of focused on that and put their energy there rather than trying to remember some old geezer who you know died last week or last year or whenever it was and who was he anyway you know he sounds like a complete weirdo so you know i think i think i'd rather people focus on on um enhancing the life force of the planet and then particularly the, the the life energy around them um than than remembering me so yeah i'd rather be i mean i'd rather be football well yeah. I've got news for you. I'm not going to forget you. And there's a whole lot of people on this planet who've been touched by, uh, by you. So, you know, humility is a very beautiful thing that I, that I, that I feel through this internet connection and these screens. And it's a very interesting thing for me. I do hope that one day I get the opportunity to uh, disturb you on your property and your gazillion chickens and, and uh, you know, I'd love to, uh, yeah, to, to see and experience your, your life with my own, uh, my own eyes. Thank you so much for, for, for taking the time and for, yeah, allowing us uh, to go a little bit into what makes you tick. It's been the biggest pleasure. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, uh, thank you. Like I said, um, it's, it's good that people like yourself uh, are able to get, get this stuff from, from different different angles and different views that people can can tune into and and perhaps um in 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 a small way uh, create a, a better future for life on earth champion thank you very much see you john thank you thank you ciao much. ciao many thanks for listening if you enjoyed this episode review it with five stars on apple podcasts or wherever you like to listen and subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode and go to aliminalspace.earth to access all episodes available as both video and audio podcasts. But for now, many thanks again, and see you next time in Aliminal Space. Mm -hmm.